0: The teams you care about.
1: We need to stop saying these are uncharacteristic Patriots mistakes. These are the Patriots now. These are not the Patriots of old.
0: The stories that matter to you.
1: The Red Sox were fourth worst in Major League Baseball in 2020 and got to the ALCS. That is a hell of a season.
0: This is your home. For New England sports.
1: What seven footers did Stony Brook bring in on the transfer portal? Which Duke transfers did they get? How is UVM picked second in this conference?
0: This is the Brady Farkas show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. What's up, everybody?
1: Brady Farkas show. Welcome in here on a Wednesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio.com. A full show today, all 90 minutes going up until 7 o'clock, and we've got, once again, a ton of. Of stuff going on, Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio is going to be with us live today. So we always talk to Freddie Coleman. We always talk to Tom Karen on Wednesdays. One of them is usually live. One of them we usually use kind of you know a bunch of tape pieces from. So Freddie's going to be live with us in 15 minutes. Tom Karen of Nesson joined me earlier. That interview is already up on the podcast channel. We've cut it up, got a bunch of different stuff we're going to react to, so you're still going to hear from TC here on the show, talking about the Red Sox and the general manager's meetings and what's going on with them. We've got thoughts on Tom Brady. And the UVM men's basketball season begins tomorrow, 6 p.m. on the road at Northern Iowa. We're trying, we're efforting to get a hold of uh, Northern Iowa broadcaster Brad Wells for just a couple of minutes. Um, And we've got some pretty – got reason to believe in the 6 o'clock hour that Brad Wells – is going to be with us and give us just a little preview of that game as the Catamounts go for a win number one in game number one. Northern Iowa opened up their season yesterday and lost to Nichols State by four. So that was surprising. I don't think of Northern Iowa's losing to Nichols State, but they did. And now they're 0-1, UVM is 1-0. So without further ado, reminder, the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line is open, 802-0. 585 3026, 802
2: 585
1: 3026. Everybody, Lego! 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And here we go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. I have a question for the room. If you're in your car driving around, or you're listening to this later on demand, think about this question. Why is nobody in the media hammering Bill Belichick right now? And I mean, why are they not even questioning him at all? Because I have seen today multiple different journalists, multiple different opinionists say that the Patriots should be going after Odell Beckham Jr., Today I saw Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston say the Patriots need OBJ, and I heard Mina Kimes of ESPN say this.
0: But there's a lot of teams that make sense. I mean, we're going to talk about some of them. I'll just throw out another one I think makes a ton of sense, New England. Yeah. That's a team that is on the ascent in terms of their playoff contention this weekend against Carolina. Only four catches by wide receivers. Yeah. They have not gotten production out of that position. We know Bill, Bill Belichick would like to add him.
1: So Mina says they should want him. Tom Curran says the Patriots need Odell Beckham Jr. The Patriots a couple of years ago needed Josh Gordon. The Patriots a couple of years ago needed Antonio Brown. If you are saying that this Patriots team, who's five and four, needs Odell Beckham Jr., then you are saying the Patriots are desperate in the way that those Patriots teams were desperate. And if you are saying they're desperate then you're saying that Bill Belichick did a piss-poor job of building this team. So why is nobody saying that and criticizing Bill Belichick? I keep hearing the Patriots need OBJ. If you need something, you're desperate. And if you are desperate, you're desperate because Bill Belichick did a bad job building this team. But no one's saying that, and I'm wondering why. Because we've said for a while that... Bill Belichick can't draft wide receivers, right? We've said that for a while. That's been known. And then Akil Harry's selection is just the nail in the coffin of that narrative to prove it true. We know Bill Belichick can't draft wide receivers. So now we applauded Bill Belichick this offseason for signing his way out of these problems. Hey, if you can't draft him, just sign him. We praise Bill Belichick for that. The mainstream media praise Bill Belichick for that. If you can't draft him, just throw money at it. Jonu Smith, tight end, but Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne. If you can't draft it, we said, great, just throw money at the problem, and that'll be good. Well, if you're telling me that this team needs Odell Beckham Jr., then you don't think Bill Belichick can do that either. So you already think he can't draft. Now you think he can't evaluate talent and sign the right talent. Why is there not then a? Why are people then not calling for Bill Belichick's job? I'm tired of reading that this team needs Odell Beckham Jr., but then there's no criticism of Belichick after the fact. If you think this team needs OBJ, then you are directly saying Bill Belichick has not done a good enough job because it's not injury that would have taken away talent from this team. You're just saying flat out that Bill Belichick gave you a bad team or gave you a deficient pass-catching group, and that's why you would need Odell Beckham. Because nobody's saying that OBJ would be a, you know, the people who are saying they need him, they're not saying he'd be a nice add-on. They're not saying he'd be a nice luxury. They're saying he's a necessity. And if he's a necessity, then you should be calling out Bill Belichick. The thing with me, though, is I don't think this team needs Odell Beckham Jr. And I don't think Bill Belichick has done a bad job building this team. All of you apparently do. Everybody who says OBJ is a necessity here thinks Bill Belichick clearly did a bad job. I don't. I don't think this team needs Odell Beckham Jr. I don't want OBJ because of what he might do to Mac Jones. I fear the Mac Jones-OBJ partnership. So I don't want Odell Beckham Jr. But even if I did... I don't think that this team needs him. I think that they have the answers enough in-house. They have the answers enough in-house to go and make a run and to do something good in this season. This is a run first team, remember that. It's a run first team that has identified the physical a physical style is in their best interest. This is not a team that needs to force feed Odell Beckham Jr. nine targets a game. Run the football, take calculated shots in the passing game. So they don't need him. They're a running team. They don't necessarily need any one wide receiver. They need a running game. They need a good offensive line. They don't need Odell Beckham Jr. Also, Albert Breer, I think the other day, said it best. They said that, or he said, Mac Jones is at his best when he's playing point guard and he can just distribute all around the field and all five guys are involved in the route. He said it wouldn't be the best interest of him to force feed OBJ the ball. He's right. This team can get by with what it's got. It's got the answers in house. You're a run first team. You've got physical running backs, you've got an offensive line that's playing better. Boom. You're a team that should be running play action. You've got two tight ends that can help you accomplish that. You've got a playmaker who I don't know that they're using right in Jonu Smith. That's the one I would quibble with, with Josh McDaniels. But you've got a playmaker who you can get the ball in his hands to. And you've got wide receivers that are good enough to play the style of offense I think you should be playing to accomplish your goals. I understand no one would subst- No one would say the Patriots' weapons are you know, Tyreek Hill. No one would say they're DK Metcalf, but they're good enough to do what they should be doing. This team doesn't need Odell Beckham Jr. And if you think that they do, then you think Bill Belichick has has put the team together poorly. In 2019, they were desperate for Antonio Brown. In 2018, yes, 2018, they were desperate for Josh Gordon. That's what she thought. That's why you made those moves. This team's not desperate for Odell Beckham Jr. Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Unnamed texter says the Patriots have no cap space. They have a little bit of cap space. They can afford Odell Beckham Jr. Here is how this goes at this point. Odell Beckham Jr. is due $4.25 million for the rest of the year. $4.25 $4.25 million. You can offer him the veteran minimum, which is like just over 550000 And then you would pay that and Cleveland would pay the difference. So you not having, as long as you have $550,000, you can sign Odell Beckham Jr. So the Pats don't need $31 million. They don't need $12 million. They don't even need $4.25 million. They can afford OBJ. I just don't think they need him from a football perspective. The answers are in-house. Bill Belichick has done a good enough job to put pieces on this roster that can work and can win. Now, if you don't think that those pieces are being used properly, that's a different conversation. But I think the pieces are here. Unnamed texter. First-time texter. He says, you're so wrong. OBJ is a game-changer for the Patriots offense I, I, I'm i not saying that Odell Beckham Jr. is not good he's not what he used to be but I'm not saying he's not good he's not good for Mac Jones right now Odell Beckham Jr. to the Packers home run Aaron Rodgers can handle him Aaron Rodgers can handle him you partner him with Devontae Adams I would say if he wants to win if he wants to play with a great quarterback that's a good spot Odell Beckham to the Seahawks. Now, they're not as good. Russell Wilson can handle them. I think OBJ can be a part of a fun, fast offense in Seattle. I'd probably advocate for it. Odell Beckham Jr. coming to the Patriots is not a game changer. This team is a run-first team. Let's. He's. Here's the thing. I've said this all year. You can go back to May. The New England Patriots should play offense and do play offense like the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns, who you will see on Sunday, and the Patriots are essentially the same version of each other. Now, they have the same record. The Browns have better players. So Nick Chubb, if he plays, better running back than what the Pats have. Jarvis Landry, a better wide receiver than what the Pats have tight ends, David Njoku and Austin Hooper and Harrison Bryant, those three, they play a lot. Those three are collectively better than the two the Patriots feature. They they play the exact same style of offense. The Browns run the ball a ton. I believe they run it third most in the league. Baker Mayfield doesn't pass it a lot and doesn't get asked to do much. Odell Beckham Jr., unhappy in that situation. Why would I want to bring him to Foxborough to do the exact same thing with lesser talent around him? Why would I want to do that? Why would he want to come here? I, the, the fact that OBJ and the Patriots are even talking is something that I can't believe. Th- this seems to make zero sense to me. He's, he's leaving a situation. Run first team, bad weather, quarterback that they asked to be limited, and great talent around him. Here, worst talent, limited quarterback, bad weather, I don't think it makes sense for either side. Uh, Phil says, Brady, the Patriots don't need OBJ. Belichick has been to 11 Super Bowls and has won eight with the Giants and the Patriots. How many Super Bowls has Odell won? That, I think, is an unfair shot. Wide receivers do not directly contribute to Super Bowls in that way. They just just don't. Great wide receivers, plenty of great wide receivers have never won Super Bowls. Julio Jones... Has never won a Super Bowl. It's a great wide receiver. A.J. Green never won a Super Bowl. Great wide receiver. Larry Fitzgerald never won a Super Bowl. Great wide receiver. Now you can argue that paying your receivers top flight is not necessary. That that I could get on board with, but you you can be a perfect citizen wide receiver and never win a Super Bowl, and I I don't know I don't know I just think that not winning a Super Bowl isn't a huge stain on your resume. OBJ wanting to get targets in an offense that won't give him targets, that's the problem. Ross says, Brady, I agree he's not needed in New England. He's not. This team has the answers. It has the running game. It now has a good enough line to use that running game. It has wide receivers and tight ends that I believe are good enough. If you don't like the way they're being used – that's one thing. To sit here and say they're not good enough, that's wrong. They are good enough. Nelson Aguilar had nearly 700 yards receiving last year. I believe led the league and catches over 20 yards. He's got the ability to get deep. If they don't want to throw it to him deep, that's their problem. The, the team is good enough. The team has the right amount of pieces. It's the Brady Farkas show. Oh, here's Matt and Jericho. Brady, it's not fair to say their spending spree didn't work when they're one game back in the division, but regardless of all that, trying to improve their roster by signing OBJ is what you are supposed to do. That's a different conversation, Matt. You're saying that OBJ improves the roster, a.k.a. he's an add-on to an already good team. These other places are saying that it's a necessity. They're saying he's needed. I just don't think that he's needed. If you're saying he's needed... That implies you think the Patriots are deficient in the wideout room. They are short on numbers, but I don't think they are deficient. I think they have the answers in-house. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Do the Patriots need Odell Beckham Jr.? Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, is gonna join me next and answer that question on WDEV.
0: One of the nicest guys in sports talk radio and one of the smartest.
2: Mac Jones went out there and he looked the part. Had command of the huddle, had command of his teammates. That is something that everybody thought they would see. No one thought they would see it this early.
0: It's time for our weekly conversation with ESPN's Freddie Coleman on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
1: Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio. Dot com Wednesday afternoon, approximately 5.45. You know where we are. We're talking with Freddie Coleman, ESPN radio host. A couple hours till his show right here on this network, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, 9 o'clock. And when I got Freddie on the phone in the commercial break, we were talking about just how much stuff there is going on. Freddie, nationally for you, but locally here for us in New England. We got the Red Sox at the GM meetings. We got OBJ watch with the Patriots. We got UVM hoops starting tomorrow. Everything's going on.
2: It's the most wonderful time of the year as we get closer and closer to thanksgiving and also christmas time where so many different sports are colliding together where you got football nfl college football on one side you got the nba that had a great start to their season you got the nhl what's going to happen to major league baseball winter meetings somebody doing a thing something stupid no matter what sport it is (laughs) there's so much going on that it's hard to keep track of everything but that's the beauty of this time of year in sports
1: Freddie, I've been against the idea of the Patriots signing Odell Beckham. Not because I think he's a bad guy, but because I just don't think it's a great fit for this team right now. What do you think of this saga as the Pats remain in the conversation?
2: Well, you should kick the tires on Odell Beckham Jr. Because remember this, he can be whatever he is, but Bill Belichick has shown that you're not going to be that way playing for the New England Patriots. I mean, this is the same man in the organization that took a chance on Randy Moss, who could be very mercurial, and Antonio Brown, enough said from that standpoint. And I'm with you to Odell Beckham Jr. not being a bad guy, but at a certain point, especially when he just turned 29 years of age, he's got to stop thinking about, i got to be a volume guy. I need the football. Are you going to be a guy that's going to be about winning or are you going to be a guy that's going to be about you? And if he decides to sign with the Patriots or if he goes to the Chiefs or he goes to the Green Bay Packers, that mindset can't change. It can't just be about the best guy in the field because no matter where he goes, especially if he goes out to Kansas City or to Seattle or to Green Bay. He is going to be the second-best wide receiver on that football team where you got Tyreek Hill in Kansas City and Travis Kelsey plays like a wide receiver anyway for the Chiefs. you got DK Metcalf with Seattle, and you got Devontae out of the Green Bay Packers. It can't just be about gunning for that number one spot. It's going to be about what can I do to make sure this team is the number one team when it's all said and done.
1: You know, Freddie, one part of the narrative that I haven't bought into with OBJ to the Patriots is there's this idea out there that Belichick and OBJ really like each other and that you know OBJ would want to come to New England because of Belichick. I agree there might be a mutual respect there, but I always thought Beckham liked the Patriots because he liked Tom Brady. Like, do you think it's really about Belichick, or do you think it was always about Brady?
2: It was always about Tom Brady to me because Tom Brady was a pied piper for a lot of guys that wanted to play with him in New England, and now look what's going on the first two years he's played with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So even Bill Belichick has recognized that, not saying that he has had a softer approach, but I guarantee you what he was able to sell the free agents really, really worked, and so far we've seen it manifest itself with those guys playing pretty well for the New England Patriots signing with Bill Belichick without Tom Brady being there. That being said, if you're Odell Beckham Jr., Bill Belichick is not going to back off of you, and he's not going to kowtow to you. That was something Odell Beckham Jr. wanted, and that's never going to happen in a quarterback coach-driven league that is the National Football League. And especially when he was in Cleveland after they were able to find a way to get Baker Mayfield and draft him, and then you come along. You're not going to be a franchise player. Odell Beckham Jr. is a celebrity. There's no doubt about that, but at a certain point, when you add a when did you subtract from your celebrated status if you're not out there producing on the a football field so that's where it comes down to me and I'm with you Bill Belichick may kick the tires on him and I think he's going to move on to a different direction but if Odell Beckham Jr. is really serious about winning then what is he going to have to do to dial back the celebrity and be the guy that we saw at the beginning of his NFL career with the New York Giants
1: you know I've seen a lot of people say that the Patriots need Odell Beckham Jr. they need OBJ and my question no. is this. If you need OBJ, then aren't you saying that Bill Belichick did not do a good job with his off-season spending spree?
2: Exactly, and the Patriots don't need anybody. They want certain things from their players, but they've never gone. If they didn't need Tom Brady at the end of his tenure after 20 years, what makes anybody believe that the Patriots need somebody along the lines of a guy Odell Beckham Jr. who does not even have one playoff win and has not even gotten to the Super Bowl unless he bought a ticket and attended the game. (laughs) So when you try to throw that need thing with Bill Belichick and the Patriots, have we not been paying attention to him and this organization for the past 22 years, they go by a need-by-need basis with players that they believe can help that football team. But if they really need somebody, they have a way of getting somebody. But that need is different when it comes to Odell Beckham Jr. Because the last time I checked, this offense is who they are. They're going to run the football. They're going to play tough defense. They're not going to have their quarterback make big mistakes. And more and more each and every week, they open up the playbook a little bit for Mac Jones. They don't really need somebody like Odell Beckham Jr. to make this offense a better offense. They can go out and get guys or other the guys they have with now. That's going to make this offense even more dangerous down the stretch, especially when we get
1: into December. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, Freddie and Fitzsimmons tonight at 9 right here on WDEV and with us every single Wednesday at this time on the Brady Farkas show. Uh, Pats take on the Browns this week. Both teams are banged up. Injuries on the Patriots side, COVID issues on the Browns side, especially in both backfields. Let me ask you about the quarterbacks. What do you think of Mac Jones in comparison to Baker Mayfield?
2: I don't compare him to Baker Mayfield because, number one, they're not the same guy, number two, they play for two different organizations. We know that both of these teams are run-based football teams. So, Baker Mayfield's been in the NFL longer than Mac Jones, and he has better personnel on the outside than Mac Jones. So I would never compare Mac Jones to Mayfield, who's already had a head start, has played in two playoff games, and was able to survive the whole Odell Beckham Jr. celebrated status, where they looked like a lot happier team last Sunday when they put it on the Cincinnati Bengals. So I look at both of these quarterbacks that we know that they have the capability of making those plays down the field, and Baker's going to be better at it now because he's been in the league longer and, like I mentioned, the personnel on the outside. But that does not mean that Mac Jones can't be effective, that even when he did not play well a couple of weeks ago against the Los Angeles Chargers, they found a way to win that football game. So if you're able to do that as a team around your quarterback, when he really gets to being good or maybe even great, then you're really going to be in a different trajectory when it comes to the New England Patriots. Now, the Cleveland Browns are hoping the same thing when it comes to Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is a pretty good quarterback. He's not a great quarterback. But he can be a great quarterback in that offense, especially when he's not trying too hard when it comes to making plays downfield or worrying about somebody who needs to get the football as much or more than anybody else. So that, I don't make that comparison because it's unfair to Baker Mayfield because he's on a team that's been in a playoffs, And it's definitely fair to Mac Jones when he's still trying to find his footing in the National Football League.
1: You know, last night on your show, you were pretty passionate about the Aaron Rodgers story. And Rodgers, you know, we know he came out yesterday and kind of apologized for what he said about COVID and vaccine and all that stuff. What did you think of the NFL's punishment of Rodgers and the Packers?
2: Well, I wasn't surprised because Brady, I called that last week when many people I was going to bring the hammer down on him. I said they're not doing that to one of their stars of the league. When it comes to Aaron Rodgers and the way that he plays that position and the kind of persona that he has brought to the National Football League, when you are a superstar, you're going to get more leeway. Herm Edwards said it best when he was a coworker of ours at ESPN. He said, "Coaches will have 53 players. Some are going to be up here and some are going to be down there, and it's the same kind of." With the same kind of whole protocol, if we can use that word in the situation with the National Football League, if you're a superstar player, and more importantly, Brady, if you are a superstar quarterback, you're going more leeway. We know Rodgers was a third-string quarterback or a second-string quarterback; they would have cut him and not even thought twice about it. But because he is Aaron Rodgers, and don't think for one second there are plenty of people in the NFL that believe the same thing that he does when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, whether they're owners, whether they're general managers, et cetera. But Aaron Rodgers put himself out there flat outlining everybody else, and then he had the nerve to be surprised when he got blowback from it. But I warned people last week, if you're expecting the NFL to hammer down on a decision like that and bring on Aaron Rodgers' head, it was not going to happen. Remember, this is the same league that thought deflating footballs so was a lot worse for their league than what Aaron Rodgers said last Friday. Tom Brady got four games one to be surprised that Aaron Rodgers are not going to get one game of suspension and only be fined a little bit more than fourteen thousand dollars, which is exactly what happened with the NFL.
1: Tom Brady speaking to him he says he doesn't like the seventeenth game on the NFL schedule. What did you think of those comments and that assessment?
2: He's going to play seventeen games. <laughs> Tom Brady can say whatever he wants, but it's not that he's going to play sixteen games, Brady, and then get the game seventeen and go, "Yeah, I don't want to play." Yeah, Tom Brady is looking at in terms of the overall health of the league, and he knows exactly how taxing it is on the body in the National Football League playing 16 games. And I'm with him in terms of I don't think the NFL needs to go to a 17-game schedule, but I'm also not a multi-billionaire owner, one of the ownership group in the National Football League, and that includes the many people that own the Green Bay Packers. They saw a chance to not only get more revenue and also more revenue for their sport when it comes to the regular season and in the playoff season, they were not going to turn their backs on billions and billions of dollars that's going to fortify their league. And not for nothing, Tom Brady also knows this. You can say those kind of things when you're a lot closer to the sunset of your NFL career whenever that's going to happen, instead of being at the beginning of his career. Now, this might have had a little bit more weight if Patrick Mahomes said of the Kansas City Chiefs. But Tom Brady's saying people like, Oh, we understand it, but you're a lot closer to the end of your NFL career. The NFL was here long before you got here, it's gonna be here long after you leave, no matter who you are, especially when it comes to Tom Brady.
1: Freddie, i get you out of here on this. Celtics taking on the Raptors tonight. The Seas are 4-6. and six. The Raptors are surprising. They're over five hundred right now. Should the Celtics have any interest at all in Ben Simmons, as was uh, rumored earlier this week?
2: I would say no, because if you're going to move on from Jalen Brown, but you're going to bring in a guy that's a gifted passer, but not, to me, a better basketball player than Jalen Brown, and that doesn't make any sense to me. Whatever situation that the Celtics have found themselves in, you've got to trust that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown will be more mature or be mature enough to figure their way out and help this basketball team. But I think bringing a guy, Ben Simmons, and let's call it as it is, this guy turns him from basketball is damaged goods, especially what happened at the end of last year in the playoffs where he had the whole city that was not liking him, the organization was looking at him sideways, and he wanted out. Why would you want a guy like that that at the first sign of trouble may be looking for the exit door and not looking to work things out? Ben Simmons has been cobbled his entire basketball life. And at a certain point, when you get to the real man's league, like in the NBA, it's not going to work out in your favor. And we saw how he did not handle that properly. I would not want to have somebody else's problem Be a part of my organization, Brady. It's like when you buy a used car and you think that a used car is going to be the same as a new car in the showroom. You've taken on somebody else's problem that is not just going to go away because you bought that car. Ben Simmons is a used car in this situation. And if I'm the Celtics, I got two guys, I got two cars in my showroom that I trust more than trying to bring the used car and hope that that's going to work out with my organization.
1: Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, just a couple hours from now, about three hours and change from now. So, Freddie, we look forward to listening tonight right here on WDEV, and we will talk to you in seven days.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure, Freddie. You take care and be well, my friend.
1: I will do just that. Looking forward to Freddie's show tonight, 9 o'clock here on DEV. So, thank you to Freddie. So, what we're going to do is we're going to step aside. get a national news update from CBS News. The crew is working anxiously now to cut up Freddie's interview. We'll get some stuff from it in the 6 o'clock hour. And I've got a text that I want to address here from a, a texter on Odell Beckham Jr. So, all that's to come after the CBS News update. And the Red Sox, high and Bloom, holding court at the general manager's meetings what do we know? And what's the offseason look like from the Red Sox perspective? We're going to hear from Tom Karen, our Sox insider at Nesson, who we talk to every week as well. That's all coming up after the news update on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com.
0: Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
1: Welcome back in, Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Reminder, the full show podcast is available always on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and it's available at WDEVradio.com. Also, all of our interviews are there, and sometimes we have more interviews than appear on this show, so there's always some extra content there. So, We spoke with Freddie Coleman. That interview is already up. On the podcast channel, he was just with us. We spoke with Tom Karen of Nesson, as we do every Wednesday. That interview in full was 18 minutes of great Red Sox content. Also, some stuff about the Bruins as well. So, that's on the on the uh, podcast channel. We've got the interview cut up from TC. We're going to get to that here right on the sheet. There it is. A bunch of Tom Karen stuff we're going to get to momentarily here on the Red Sox. We are going to talk for a couple of minutes at the end of the show with Brad Wells, the broadcaster from Northern Iowa. The basketball team UVM opens up their season in uh, Iowa tomorrow. Iowa lost Northern Iowa lost last night to Nichols state. Do have a text that I want to get to Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. You asked how is Odell Beckham Jr. A game changer? Well, he says the defense becomes predictable as they double team OBJ. This opens up everyone else to single coverage. Trent Brown comes back. Isaiah Wynn moves. Then they have better pass protection. Allows the offense to run or pass, and they become less predictable. Here's the thing. It's good in theory. But is Odell Beckham Jr. right now a all-the-time double-teamable wide receiver? I don't think so. Look at what was going on in Cleveland. Look at who else OBJ was playing with there, Jarvis Landry, not a deep threat, not a guy who scares you over the top, Rashard Higgins, Donovan Peoples Jones. Like th- these are not household names in Cleveland, and OBJ was not getting you know that kind of attention there. He's not going get- to Odell Beckham Jr. at 29 years old is not the game breaker he was at 23. He's just not. It's not that he's bad. It's not that he can't do anything. He can, but he's not the player that he was. Let's also not forget that he's got like half a shoulder right now. Let's not forget that. Joe and Richmond, Odell is nothing but a diva. He is not what the Pats need. I don't want to use the D word, but I'm having a hard time trying to figure out a better way to describe it. Odell Beckham Jr. wants the ball. I think a lot of wide receivers want the ball. Some wide receivers want to be a part of a team that wins, and some wide receivers want to be a guy who gets attention, who gets numbers, and then he is partly responsible for your for your winning. I don't begrudge guys who have an ego like that. We all want to win, but we all want to be a factor in why we win. OBJ, I do not believe will want to come to Foxborough and, hey, you may get to the playoffs. You may get to the playoffs, but you're going to catch three balls a game. Brady, but they won. I don't think that makes OBJ happy. If OBJ got 10 catches and lost, I think he'd be more okay with that. I do. Just like I think there are plenty of players in the NBA that would rather go, look, hey, if I told you you can go to Detroit and score 24 a night, but the team's awful, or you can go to Golden State and play nine minutes a game, I think a lot of people would choose Detroit. I think they would. And I think that's far more common than we as fans want to admit. I think Odell Beckham Jr. would like to win, but I think he would like to have a real hand in the winning. The latest – the latest – update right now on OBJ is that the Saints and Seahawks have called him, you know, Sean Payton and Russell Wilson directly, and they have made their sales pitches. We knew at last report the Patriots were talking with OBJ and that they liked OBJ. Uh, Jordan Schultz is the guy who's kind of all over this here on OBJ Watch on social media, so we're seeing what he's got. Last thing he's got is that Wilson and Payton reached out to him, but Two hours ago, Patriots are making a strong push. Belichick wants Beckham on the roster badly. Uh, Another text, if OBJ goes to the Pats, I think it hurts the progression of Mac Jones. I I think all it can do is stunt the progression of Mac Jones. And I've said that from the start. Me not wanting Odell Beckham Jr. has nothing to do with OBJ's game or lack thereof. It has everything to do with Mac Jones. I've spent this whole year coddling him and trying to cultivate an easy environment for him to play in. Bringing in Odell Beckham Jr. is not that. It's just not that. It makes life tougher and more complicated for OBJ. Eli Manning is a possible Hall of Famer. He felt the pressure to get the ball to OBJ. Baker Mayfield was a young, impressionable quarterback. He tried to force-feed it to OBJ, and it didn't work. I don't want to put those kind of constraints on my young quarterback. If we're going to roll with Mac Jones for years, I want him to keep ascending, and this is not something that's going to help that process. So Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox are at the general manager's meetings. And I got to say, the GM meetings in the last like two or three years have really supplanted the winter meetings. The winter meetings used to be the place where everything happened. The first big trades, the first big uh, free agent signings, the big rumors, what they call interest season, where you know you find out everyone's interested in everybody. Winter meetings used to do that. That is now the GM meetings. We're hearing Corey Seager, Yankees, Rangers interested. Eduardo Rodriguez, will have an update on him and P- uh, multiple teams are looking at e right now. So the updates are coming in fast and furious from, I believe, Carlsbad, California. As for the Red Sox, Rob Bradford, Sox insider, WEEI, says this about Justin Verlander. The fact is is that you have that surgery, you can come back, you can, throw, you can throw, as he proved yesterday, you can still throw the ball like you did before. He might not be exactly as good, but if you're talking about 80% of the Verlander we last saw in 2019, I would absolutely sign that up for a two-year, even maybe a three-year deal. We talked about this yesterday. You heard my full thoughts on this. (laughs) Justin Verlander is intriguing. He's a surefire Hall of Famer. He's likely a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's an MVP. He's a two-time Cy Young winner. He's not worth the risk to me. Not now. I like Verlander. I do think he's got something left, and I think he would be a great voice in that clubhouse for some of these young pitchers. But there's too much uncertainty there for me to give up what I'd have to give up. I just can't do it. 24 hours later, I was hoping maybe I'd change my mind, and I haven't. This team would have to give up significant money. We're talking probably $30 million at least over two years for Justin Verlander. At least. If he turns down the qualifying offer that's one year 18, what's he looking for? Two for 30? Three for 42? Something in that regard? I'm not willing to do that. The Red Sox can spend, but they are not made of money. I don't think they're going to be cheap, but they're not going to spend stupidly. And a 39-year-old pitcher getting a two- or three-year deal coming off Tommy John surgery and eating up 30 to $40 million of my payroll, that is spending stupidly. It just isn't. Baseball is business, and Justin Verlander is not a good investment for the Boston Red Sox. I'm a Mariners fan. People know this. The Mariners have, like, no money committed. Like, almost zero. They can afford to take a shot and miss because – they can sign four or five guys, and they can afford for one of them to not pan out. The Red Sox don't have that. The Red Sox, I believe, have $185 million committed for next year. The Mariners have 70. If you are a team that is, that is ascending like Seattle is, if you are a team that has payroll flexibility where you can afford to take a risk like Seattle can, that team should be all in on Justin Verlander. The Boston Red Sox heavy, they do have, as much as we don't like to admit it, they do have a limited financial you know, flexibility right now. They're not completely cash strapped, but they've got to spend wisely, and I think they're going to, and Justin Verlander is not that. Also, I don't want to give up the draft pick. I told you this yesterday. I don't want to give up the draft pick. Money and draft picks are two things right now I got to protect from the Red Sox. And. The Red Sox have in-house options. I forgot yesterday about Garrett Whitlock. I just plum forgot him. Sale, Ivaldi, Pavetta, that's three. Hauk, four. Whitlock, five. Seabold, six. Erod, if you brought him back, that's seven. I've got six already in-house options plus Erod there if I want to bring him back. Seven potential options. I don't need Justin Verlander. And I'm not spending 30 to $40 million on a question mark unless I need that question mark. I don't need the question mark, not in this case. I think Verlander has something, and I do think that he can provide something for somebody this year. But can I get 30 starts and 175 innings out of him at 39 years old? I don't know that. And if I don't know that, I can't take the flyer. Not at that money and not at a draft pick. Carlos Rodon of the White Sox, he's got some health questions. He's a free agent, no qualifying offer. That's a guy younger, by a decade, I'd be more likely to take a shot on. I can't do it on Justin Verlander. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Talked with Tom Cairn of Nesson, as I told you. Well, TC had an idea that I'm thinking I like a lot.
2: You know, Oakland is a great example. Oakland's got three guys who are going to be, you know, three good starting pitchers. Manaya at the top of that list, who are going to make big money in arbitration in this offseason. Uh, Oakland has traditionally flipped those guys while they can. Now, can you put together a package of Dahlback and a prospect or two to get one of those guys? They come into your rotation, then you're able to move, you know, leave Hauk in the bullpen or, or, or leave Whitlock in the bullpen.
1: Okay. That is interesting. Tom Karen was talking about maybe doing some trades. Said maybe the Red Sox won't sign big pitchers. Maybe they'll trade for them. And he mentioned Oakland. Ding, ding, ding. That's an idea that I love. The Oakland A's missed the playoffs this year after a long stretch where they were contenders in the American League. They are drastically looking to slash payroll. They've got a ton of good players nearing the end of contracts, nearing the end of rookie contracts that are due arbitration raises that are pretty big that they don't want to pay. Sean Manaya, Frankie Montas, Chris Bassett, all pitchers. Matt Chapman, a platinum glove winner at third. Matt Olsen, a 40 home run caliber guy at first. They might get rid of all of them. They may get rid of all of them. I would be making calls to the Oakland A's trying to get somebody in that group. Probably not Chapman because I've got Devers, but... Anybody else in that group I'm at least making calls on, specifically the pitchers, interest me the most, though. It's absolutely an idea that makes sense, and I would do it if it presented itself. Look, getting any of those pitchers, Montas, Bassett, and Minaya, all represents great upside. All are substantially younger than Verlander. All are substantially cheaper than Verlander will be. All could potentially be re-signed afterwards to make it not just a short-term deal, and now you've locked up a pretty good pitcher on your roster. That's possible. And I would trade Bobby Dahlbeck there. The A's are looking for prospects. They're looking for salary relief. Bob, If they're going to trade their first baseman, Matt Olson, you can have Bobby Dahlbeck, who I don't necessarily need, given that I've got Tristan Cassis coming. I can get the pitchers. You can get the prospects and the salary relief. And here we go. And they're probably so desperate for the salary relief that I don't think they're going to try to pry four prospects from me. They may just take Dahlbeck and one other and call it a day. They may take Dahlbeck and call it a day. We get a message on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. Devers can DH. Chapman is a gold glove guy. i do it. I would not. Chapman, I believe, is entering the final year of his contract. So, I'm not making Devers upset for a guy who's got one year. Chapman also can't hit anymore. I'm not real interested in him. He didn't hit. He hit for some power, but he can't hit for any kind of average. Strikes out a ton. I've got J.D. Martinez back. He's my D.H., and if you wanted to get rid of him, they want to bring back Schwarber, he'd be my D.H. So no room for Chapman, specifically the pitchers, and if I could find Olsen at first, then I would take that, and I'd ship Dahl back out there too. So, if I can get a pitcher or Olsen, I'm in on sending Dahlbeck and a prospect or two. But I don't think they're going to try to pry away a bunch of stuff from you because they're that desperate to shed payroll. Other thing, Tom, Karen, and I – and by the way, here's another one. The A's are on such a fire sale that if you don't jump on this, your AL rivals are going to. The Yankees will make calls. Trust me. Matt Olsen, I think they're already trying to figure out a way to do that in New York with Brian Cashman. So the Yankees will do it. The White Sox will make calls. Seattle will make calls. The teams in your league that are looking to win and looking to ascend and pass you or stay past you, they are going to make calls. And if you don't try to make something happen, you run the risk of being left in the dust. Bobby Dahlbeck is an expendable piece. As much as I may like him, as much as a heater as he went on you know, in August, he is... A redundant piece. They've got Tristan Cassis who can play first in the future. They may bring back Schwarber who can play first. They could trade for Olson. They don't need Dahlbeck if they can get one of these impact players from Oakland. Uh, finally, last thing here on baseball general manager's meetings from Tom Karen. He th- Listen, this is a very sm- short clip, so listen closely.
3: Or move to the closer role, which is what I've been saying all along. I love the idea of Pavetta closer
1: I love the idea of Nick Pavetta closing. Wow. Think about that. What do you think about that? 802-585-3026. Do you like the idea of Nick Pavetta closing? I don't hate it. I certainly think he's got the temperament and the intensity for it. We saw that in the playoffs, but it's not what I'm looking to do. I don't doubt that he could do it, but... It's not something that I'm looking to do right now. When you have young, controllable controllable starters, that's like gold. I'm not looking to just move a guy who can be a starter to the pen. If If guys couldn't be starters, that's when they go to the pen. If they can, I like to keep them in the rotation. He might be my number four starter, but so be it. He's a good four starter. Young, controllable, can eat innings. I think his stuff is better over multiple innings than it is over one. Sometimes he struggles to throw strikes. That's generally not something I want in the ninth inning. I'd rather have it over five or six innings. Um, I just thought it was interesting that TC brought that up because we talk about the in-house options the Red Sox have, and they have a lot of them. If you do go out and sign a couple guys, like we mentioned yesterday, Zach Granke and Alex Cobb having been linked to the Red Sox now those guys don't do a lot for me but if you did bring in somebody like that well maybe they're in the rotation and you're able to bump one you know some of those starters like Hauk to the bullpen so it is interesting I think the possibility exists that a starter could go to the pen but I'm not looking for that starter to be Nick Pavetta it's the Brady Farkas show on Wdev 802 585 3026 that's the Napa Morrisville Napa Waterbury text line and let's get to who's saying what
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? There was never a doubt in my mind that the Patriots would find a way to lose this game because that's what the Patriots do now. They really said that?
1: Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it.
0: It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Parker Show on WDEB am FM, and WDEBRadio.com.
1: Who's saying what is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash. That's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. Begins at only $20 a month. What a club. I'd like to be in that. The Unlimited Car Wash Club. $20 a month. It's like getting a haircut. I could do it every day if I could afford it. $20 a month for a car wash, especially as the winter comes. Sign me up for that. And by the way, you can get a free car wash. My listeners can get a free car wash. All you need to do is text the word VERMONT to the number 3400. 3-0-4-0-0, 3 0 text the word Vermont, and you will get a free car wash. This one we don't have sound for directly. It's Tom Brady, former Patriots quarterback, said he was talking about the addition of the 17th game to the NFL schedule this season. He said, I think it's pointless. I thought it was a terrible decision, so I don't like the fact that we're playing a 17th game at all. I think 16 is plenty. And he said a bunch of other stuff. But bottom line, Tom Brady, not a fan of the 17th game. Your thoughts on Brady's comments. I'd be interested in hearing from you guys. Do you agree with Brady? Do you disagree with Brady? Do you understand where he's coming from? Or is he being kooky again? If I were Brady, I would feel the exact same way. Me as a you got to look at this from different perspectives. You know How I view it as a fan of football is different than how I think Tom Brady views it. If I'm Tom Brady... I 100% say exactly what he just said. I know I I get completely why he'd be upset with this. It's another regular season game. And at 44 years old, it's another game that he can get hurt in. I wouldn't want that. An extra game is another chance to get injured. An extra game is another chance to get injured and another chance for my career to end. And he doesn't want to play in the preseason – He doesn't want to play extra regular season games. He doesn't want to take chances at getting injured. Every game he plays is a chance to get injured. I get why he hates the idea of an extra game in the regular season. Secondly, Tom Brady wants to win championships. This is all he cares about. Tom Brady isn't playing to be good in week four. Tom Brady isn't playing for a new contract. Tom Brady is playing solely for love of the game, legacy, and titles. And every game that he plays in the regular season is another chance for not only him to get hurt, but his teammates to get hurt. The teammates that he wants to win championships have a better chance of getting hurt with a 17th game and therefore impacts his ability to win another championship. I get why he'd be upset. And finally, the extra game of the season pushes the playoffs back a week, which means more chances for him to have to play in bad weather in the playoffs. If he doesn't get the number one seed, you know, the 17th game is multiple more weeks of the playoffs where I could play in Green Bay in January, deeper into January, Seattle, Chicago, some of these other, Philly, these NFC cities. Anything that, that sets me up To make a championship harder, I'd be bothered by if I were Tom Brady. Playing in worse weather deeper into January impacts my ability to win a championship. I'm not interested. An extra game, my my wide out can get hurt, my back can get hurt, my defense can get hurt. No thank you. I can get hurt. No thank you. I get why Tom Brady's not a fan of this. Now, the rest of the league? Is the 17th game bad? Probably not, probably not, because it brings in more money for the league, which then means more money for players. Brady doesn't need money. A lot of players do. The 17th game check matters. The bigger contract that comes from a greater TV deal because of the 17th game, that matters. Also, for players who are trying to hold on, it's an extra chance for to put out film. It's an extra chance to have a job. It's an extra week to play. It's an extra week to to show out for your current team for your next contract. The other players in the league, a lot of them, they benefit from the 17th game. Tom Brady doesn't. So listen to his comments and understand they're coming from a selfish place. I'm Tom Brady. I want to win championships. That's all I want to win. And a 17th game impacts my ability to win championships. Everybody else, though, most other people in the league, they're going to benefit from the added game, the added pay that comes with it, the added exposure. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, when we come back, I'm still hot on this whole idea of needing Odell Beckham Jr. if I'm the Patriots. If you think the Pats wide receiver room is not good enough, and that's why they need OBJ. I need you to redirect your thought process. If you think the wide receiver room is that bad, then blame Josh McDaniels and blame Mac Jones. That's next on DEVX.
0: Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEVAM FM and WDEVRadio.com. <laughs> Tell your story. I'm gonna tell you about my town. I'm gonna
3: tell
1: you a big fat story. Welcome back in Brady Farkas showing WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEV Radio.com. I continue to be worked up about the idea of the Patriots needing Odell Beckham Jr. I got this message a bit ago on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026, Nate in Highgate says, is there anyone arguing their spending spree this offseason was good? I mean, what have John Jonu Smith, Kendrick Bourne, and Nelson Aguilar contributed to the passing game? Pretty much nothing. And I've seen that perspective other places. People think the guys that Belichick got aren't good, and that's why they need Odell Beckham Jr. If you are somebody who thinks that this team needs OBJ, then I think your blame is misguided. It shouldn't be at Bill Belichick. I believe he has given this team good enough players to accomplish what their goals are. If you think the the, the room is bare, I don't think it's bare. You would need to change your, uh, redirect your anger to Josh McDaniels and Mac Jones because if you think they're not good enough, I think it's because they're probably being misutilized. You have the players. If you don't think they're doing enough, then you should be blaming the guys who are using them improperly. Now, let me get my opinion out of the way on this. I personally, personally, am okay with the Patriots being a run first team. I'm okay with them not asking Mac Jones to throw the ball 51 times a game. A lot of you want to see him throw it all over the yard. I do not. And because he's not throwing it all over the yard, a lot of you translate that apparently to... Bill Belichick didn't get good players. Well, that's not it. The reason they don't throw it all over the yard is because of line issues, sure, but also because of the way they call and execute the offense. And if you have a problem with that, then that's a Josh McDaniels and Mac Jones issue. So don't blame Belichick. He didn't leave the cupboard bare. He delivered good enough stuff this offseason. If you don't think that they're being used properly, then that's a Mac and a McDaniels problem if you think they can't unlock it. I've been comparing this team to the Browns all season long. The Patriots have the guys in-house right now, in my opinion, to be exactly what the Browns' offense is, the exact same style. No, the players are not the same, but they can do the same concepts that the Browns do. The answer isn't just, ah, go get OBJ. No, the answer is empower your quarterback to take some shots and draw plays that let you do that. I'm tired of seeing people think that the Patriots don't have good players. They do. What they need to do is empower Mac Jones to make plays. Again, I'm okay with them being a run-first team. I'm not asking them to throw it 55 times a game. But if you want to unlock the players that you think stink, then they should be doing more of letting Mac Jones take some shots again. The other day, it was ironic, Baker Mayfield threw four, had 14 completions against the Bengals. That's it, 14. He threw for 220 yards. Mac Jones had 12 completions against the Panthers, threw for 140. Baker threw two had two more completions, and it had 80 more yards. There's a difference in how the game is being called and therefore how the shots are being distributed. Trust Mac Jones to do it. Be a run-first team. Be a team that's based around your tight ends. But when you throw it, make it count. That's what Cleveland does. So this is not a Bill Belichick problem. This is not a the guys we signed are no good problem. This is a we don't want to take the training wheels off of Mac Jones. I'm for the identity Be a power run team. Have an identity that you want to play smash mouth, bully ball, football. Be that. But when you pass it, make it count. It's not that Bill Belichick didn't do a good job this offseason. He got players that can contribute. And they can contribute more than they're being asked to contribute right now. Cleveland's got Jarvis Landry, Peoples-Jones, and Rashard Higgins. They don't have true game burners there, and these guys are a valued part of the offense because when they throw it, they're taking shots. That's what I want to see the Patriots do. I got a very good question here on the text line, and it's one that I want to address. This one is an unnamed texter. Weren't you saying the other day as you unpacked the Patriots that you're starting to wonder if all the money spent on wide receivers was worth it? Now you're defending everybody. So which is it? That's a good question. And I'm going to try to explain it clearly here. I thought all along that the Patriots should be a running team. When they had Cam Newton, and they had Cam at the time free agency was happening, when they made all these signings, when they had Cam, I thought this team was built to run the football. But I thought that having Cam, a veteran quarterback, and then bringing in these extra weapons could only help open up the offense. You had the money to spend, so I had no issue with them spending it on the wide receivers, but my issue is not that they spent on the wide outs. It's, again, how those wide receivers are being used. If you didn't intend to use them, then that's where my question is kind of arise. I think that the spending was fine, but if you're not going to use them, that's where the spending might become a problem. You do have the answers in the passing game. I think you absolutely have the answers in the passing game. So my problem was when people are saying you need OBJ. Well, you don't need OBJ. You need to open things up and let Mac Jones you know, have his shots. We saw it against, remember, against the Chargers. He threw it deep to Aguilar. We saw him throw it deep against Dallas, and he hit uh, Bourne for the long you know, 75-yard touchdown. He's got it in him. They have the guys to do it. We're just not seeing the offense opened up in the way that you know Cleveland did last week. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVRadio.com. Right now, uh, I want to go out to the phone line. We were able to track down Brad Wells. Brad Wells is the uh, broadcaster for Northern Iowa men's basketball. we got just a couple of minutes with him. So Brad, appreciate you being with us. UVM men's basketball opens up the season against Northern Iowa tomorrow night, 6 p.m., less than 24 hours from now in Iowa. And Northern Iowa is a very good team, a very good program, and a good mid-major conference, a perennial conference uh, tournament champion contender. They've, they've Won big games in the NCAA tournament, beating Kansas now going back a bunch of years. But they've they've got signature wins in this program. So Brad is with us now. We did get him in here. Uh, Brad, appreciate you being with us. And by the way, uh, Northern Iowa lost last night at their opener to Nichols. So my question for Brad is, hey, I think this is a great program in Northern Iowa. I think it's a big test for UVM, but they're 0-1. How good are the Panthers heading into tomorrow's matchup with the Catamounts?
3: Well, this is uh, this is a team that's that's very good. Uh, they were down a year ago. Uh, the preseason player of the year in the conference uh, a year ago. You and I's AJ Green played three games and then missed the rest of the season uh, due to uh, a hip injury. Had a couple of surgeries in the off season and uh, everything that uh, that Panther fans have been hearing is that AJ. Uh, looks absolutely phenomenal and uh in the season opener he struggled uh he's a a guy that uh, that can fill it up he he can score twenty thirty points on any given night uh went into the n b a draft uh a summer ago it would have been the covid summer twenty twenty and uh got some feedback from them look a guy that's looking at playing at the next level uh he's getting a lot of buzz nationally as like the seventh best guard in the country. This is a guy that can shoot it. First game back, he went one for 14 and scored uh, just four points in the basketball game. So uh, he looked good physically. It was just his shots were uh, were kind of rimming in and out. And that's something that uh, uh, the Panther fans are not used to seeing. But uh, uh, but the team as a whole, uh, a very veteran group. They have uh, their three seniors that could have graduated last year, all utilizing the COVID year and uh, and are back for this season. Uh, so pretty much everybody from last year's team is back. They had three freshmen uh, that they uh, just announced a little red shirt this year. But uh, a big guy inside, Austin Fife, uh, he was the go-to guy uh, when A.J. was struggling. He finished with 20 points and nine rebounds uh, against a very good Nichols State basketball team that was picked to win the Southland Conference. So uh, I know you and I was uh, expected to win that game and, and certainly come away from that one uh, disappointed but still feel uh, as though they've got a very good basketball team this year.
1: Is there a, a projected weakness that maybe UVM can exploit? Can we look at it and say, okay, this is a small team. This is a slow team. This is a team that doesn't defend well from the perimeter. Is there something that we can go to tomorrow?
3: You know, I, I feel like maybe uh, depth in the post might be, uh, might be one thing that, uh, that you and I could use a little bit more of Uh, Behind Austin Fife, uh, they've got a guy that'll come off the bench, uh, James Betts, uh, Cole Henry, some younger guys that have only been in the program uh, for two years, and you can almost call it a a year, year and a half since uh, they missed so much uh, off-season workouts. uh, You know, just as everybody did uh, back in 2020. But uh, they're they're really deep at guard, so uh, if anything, it's that post work. And uh, you know, defensively, I, I think they're pretty sound and solid. And uh, you know, as, uh, as coach continues to shuffle with, with the different lineups that, uh, that every coach is going to be shuffling with this time of year, uh, you, just, uh, you just never know what you're going to get on, on any different kind of rotation.
1: To beat a perennial tournament contender, to beat a team that has won games in the tournament, we know tomorrow would be a big win for Vermont. How does Northern Iowa view their matchup with the Catamounts? What's the, what's the mentality going into tomorrow?
3: You know, I think the mentality is they know they're facing a good team, and uh, and they know that this is a game that's going to help prepare them for the for the rugged Missouri Valley Conference regular season tournament, uh, a league that's just stacked this year. Uh, you know, looking at uh, putting multiple teams into the NCAA tournament uh, if they can put together some uh, some quality non conference wins, and uh, you know it, it's such a it's such a scrap and a, and a dogfight to try and get. You know, quality non-conference games. And uh, I, I think for this U and I Panther basketball team, it, it's so early in the season. I think most coaches will tell you, uh, you know, we're just trying to focus on things that we do. We're trying to focus on our defensive assignments, trying to focus on, uh, you know, getting our offense uh, straightened out, cleaned up, uh, you know, running on uh, all cylinders. And I, and I think that's going to be the case uh, for you and I in their first two, three, four, maybe five basketball games is really focused on themselves. They'll, they'll, they'll scout it up and they'll have a, a good game plan ready to go. But, uh, you know, early in the season, coaches, I think just you have to put so much emphasis on, on what you guys are doing and, and what you want your team to be known as. You know, this is the time of year. If you can create an identity early, that's going to set you up for a very successful non conference portion of the schedule.
1: UVM in Northern Iowa, the season opener for the Catamounts. Northern Iowa's 0 and 1, 6 o'clock tomorrow in Iowa. Brad Wells, one of the voices of Northern Iowa. We appreciate the time today. Hey, thanks for having me. It should be a good one. Yeah, it should be a good one. Tomorrow night, 6 p.m., Catamounts back in action. We'll get to see what they're like without Steph Smith. We'll get to see what they're like, you know. Anthony Lamb, Trey Haynes, Steph Smith, the old guard is gone. This is Ben Shungu's team. This is Ryan Davis's team. I'm excited for Catamount Hoops and appreciate Brad Wells from Northern Iowa stopping by with us today. Catamount, look, th- this is a tough early season schedule. It's Northern Iowa on Thursday. It's Maryland on Saturday. And Maryland beat Quinnipiac uh, yesterday in a pretty handedly, a pretty handed uh, performance. Maryland's ranked 21 right now. So, it is definitely a, a tough early season schedule, but uh, we're going to continue to follow the Cats all the way through here this season. We'll have a lot of content throughout the uh, throughout the season here on DEV. Uh, congrats, by the way, to the UVM women's basketball team who won yesterday in their opener, beating Merrimack uh, 87-57. to Four players in double figures, so good for the Catamounts, and just good to get them back on the floor. Remember, last year, in some ways... Everything we've dealt with with COVID, it feels like, it, you know, things feel like it was just yesterday. And other ways, things feel like they're about 100 years ago. I feel like we haven't seen the UVM women's basketball team on the floor in about 100 years. I think it was last, I think it was just January. It was just nine months ago at this point. But Catamount women's hoops team, remember, they, they ended their season prematurely last year. It was just too hard with all the quarantine requirements. It was just too hard with the players testing positive and other teams canceling games. How many guys, how many players do we have at practice? It's hard. And they're back on the floor. They had a good crowd last night, four players in double figures. And it was a team last year that was playing really well in the America East Conference. And now they are uh, you know, getting a chance to uh, kind of pick up where they left off. So I uh, appreciate Brad Wells for stopping by. When we come back... Mac Jones called out by Brian Burns of the Carolina Panthers. Called out. Shots fired from down in Charlotte. How did Mac respond? We'll tell you. That's next on DEV.
0: Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and
1: WDEV Radio.com. Pretty show right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVRadio.com. An update on UVM men's soccer: Catamounts in the American East tournament against NJIT, up one nothing with 6:40 left in the first half. That game being played at Virtue Field. The show brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training, online at ProDriverCDL.com, Vermont's premier truck driver training school. So, Mac Jones, remember the controversy he's in with Brian Burns of the Panthers over the infamous now ankle twist and. Uh, from Sunday's game against the Panthers. So Burns hit the podium today and says, I would like an apology from Jones. Says, I'd like to play the Pats again. And says, I wish all my fellow D End brothers happy hunting. First off, that seems excessive. And it seems unnecessary. I mean, Brian Burns is basically putting out a hit on Mac Jones. I understand, like a football hit on Mac Jones. That seems like something there that... uh, I don't think the league should be taking too kindly towards. So Brian Burns, if I'm if I'm Carolina leadership, I'm going to him and saying, come on, man, hey, I understand you're upset. We got your back, and let's go win this game now. I I, I get it. I get why he's upset. I get why they would want to rally around him, but it, it's immature and childish to put out essentially a hit and a retaliation out on Mac Jones. As for Mac Jones, he said, look, I've already talked about it and I'm not going to address it again. He did not apologize to Brian Burns, and frankly, I don't think he needed to. I thought he said enough when he spoke on Tuesday.
3: Yeah, after I got hit pretty hard. um, I didn't really know exactly what was going on. I thought he had the ball, and um, it was my job to try and make the tackle, um, and that's pretty much it. And, you know, obviously, when you get up and see the ball, is actually down down the field a little bit more. Um, It was just a bang-bang play, and, and I didn't mean to hurt anybody or anything like that. I was just trying to Home and make the play because you know, I really know what
1: was going on. I certainly didn't mean to hurt anybody or anything like that. That seems su- sufficient enough for me. He says, I didn't mean to hurt anybody. I think that implies that he's sorry for what happened or that he regrets the way that this is gone. I think that's sufficient enough, and I think that Brian Burns should be okay with it. If Mac Jones reached out privately, I don't think it would be the worst thing but in terms of needing him to declare it publicly, I don't think he needs to. I think those comments were enough. I'd probably go to Brian Burns and, and make the comment you know, to him privately, but I don't need to do it publicly if, if I'm Mac Jones. That's how I would look at it. I don't think that this needs to be blown up any more than it already has. I think the kids handled this fine. He addressed it. He didn't duck it. He spoke on... Tuesday about it gave the comment, gave the statement, gave the rationale, gave the reason and that's it. Brian Burns is still upset. Apparently that wasn't good enough for him. I think that is now more of a him problem. If Mac Jones wants to apologize privately, fine, but does he does he need the dogged pony show? I don't think so. He made his comments. He said he was he didn't mean to hurt anybody and I believe him. And that's it. And that's all that we need out of it. If Brian Burns can't get over it, to me, that is a Brian Burns problem. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. So that's our final thought for the day. So uh, once again, UVM Men's Soccer up one nothing. Tomorrow we're going to have a big show as well. Uh, Buster Olney is going to stop by. We'll get you ready for UVM hoops as they take on. Northern Iowa. We'll talk about some of the keys to the game. We'll kind of react to some of the things that Brad Wells told told us there. So I'm pretty excited for that one. I'm disappointed that we won't be able to watch it, you know, because we'll be doing the show at that time, but we will be able to kind of keep you appraised as to what's going on. I'm also excited for what's coming up on D E V tonight. We got Jack Donovan's nineteen eighty remastered broadcast from forty years ago. That is sweet. So I can't wait for that. So that is gonna be Very, very cool. Um, All right, that will do it for us. Full show podcast is out there. Full show podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. Right now we've got this. This is breaking news on the Odell Beckham Jr. front. Um, Odell is going to take some time to decide on his next team, and that decision is a few days away. Well... What do I think of that? The decision is a few days away. I, at this point, OBJ was not gonna play this week. So signing Wednesday versus signing Saturday, is it that big a deal? Probably not because he wasn't gonna play this week. As for play you know, wanting to play next week, I do think you'd want to get into your playbook, but I guess I'd rather make sure I have all the information in front of me and I have all the uh you know, all the pitches in line and all the contract stuff. I think if I'm OBJ, I'd like to have a decision made by Friday. That way I can kind of start studying and get in a building and then be ready to go in week 11. It does mean that if he signs with the Patriots, he will not be going up in the revenge game against the Browns. So we'll continue to monitor this and see if anything changes by tomorrow. We will have, again, a, a full show tomorrow, all 90 minutes. Buster Olney, ESPN, MLB Insider will talk with us. We'll get you ready for UVM. Thanks to everybody who was with us today. Freddie Coleman, Tom Karen, and Brad Wells. All the interviews available on the full show podcast and on our interviews uh, uh, specific podcast channel. Let me say that again. Our podcast channel has the full shows and has all of our interviews. There you go. We almost made it to the end without a terrible mistake. Jack Donovan is next on WDEV.